0: You're listening to The Private Citizen, a podcast for critical thinkers. This is episode 150 for Thursday, the 13th of April, 2023. The Twitter Files, part four. Hello, everybody. I'm your host. My name is Fab. I'm coming to you from Düsseldorf in Germany. It's nice to have you on board for another show. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you didn't think it was gonna happen, did you? Um, yeah, I'm gonna talk about that in a second. Um, um, nice to have you on board. Um, yeah, this, is, this isn't live. Um, I'm not streaming this. Uh, there won't be video recording. Um, I'm gonna explain why. Um, today, we're gonna talk about the Twitter files. I'm gonna go back to the Twitter files. Today, we're gonna talk about uh, SARS CoV 2, the pandemic, and um, what we learned. About how Twitter and other social networks um, basically try shape reality—something um, that I think we all did recognize—but um, we do have proof now, uh, which is very important. Yeah, and that's going to be the topic uh, of today. Um, there's going to be—it's going to be from three major um, Twitter files, um, threads, uh, disclosures. Once again, these. Part numbers are not the ones the authors use. These are mine. This is just my fourth episode on the Twitter files. Um, and as usual, if you go to privatecitizen.press, privatecitizen.press, you will find everything there in the show notes, all the sources, all the links, everything I'm going to talk about. Um but before we do that, before we get into the topic at hand, let me just explain what happened. Um, I, I, I released the last episode and I said oh, I'm probably going to do one tomorrow, like mm-hmm. the day after I released the last, the latest, well, that, um, the previous episode, really. Um, and that never happened. Um, so I'm I'm very busy at the moment. There's lots of things going, not according to plan, not in a bad way. It's just like my life is topsy turvy right now. And on that specific week. Where I released the um, the the um, the previous podcast, um, I um, I was uh, well. My wife um, actually was a part of three heart transplants in one week. Um, she had like um, on call duty for a week, and usually have one. Um, there were three. Um, fun fact: heart transplants are always in the middle of the night because that's when the um, you know they can kind of plan you know as far as the few hours are concerned when to do them and that's when like the operating rooms are empty from all the emergencies and everything and they can they can just do this stuff of course they have to get the heart usually on the other other side of germany and all this kind of stuff anyway we didn't sleep much that week <laughs> not not really a lot i just couldn't do a show and then the next week there was just stuff that kept pile up because uh, i couldn't do things in that week because i wasn't sleeping much and then I was getting sick on top of it and it just all piled on. Um so I know I'm I'm way behind um as usual I'm I'm still trying to catch up. Um but you know I can't I'm not going to I'm I'm not going to be promising anything anymore because obviously that's not working. Uh, I just want you to know uh, I'm doing my best. I'm I have a massive backlog of stuff I want go- to get to. Like and this is one of them. Like this Twitter files thing. I think I prepared in January like the half half the show notes um all my notes on it like my actual paper notes um are like from january um so it's just been it's just been crazy um but i'll i i write them down i have a list i write them all down um and, and unless they're they're so timely that you know i have to get them in or they're just not worth it a few months later which usually the topics i talk about never are um you know we'll we'll get to them at some point um I'm doing my best, and thanks to everybody who's supporting the show. Even though you know, even though I'm not releasing an episode for a week or two, that uh, means a lot to me. Um, and this is also why I'm not like live recording this. I'm recording this shit in the middle of the night because I have other things to do, and I'm actually gonna release this on a different. Like I'm pre-recording this. Um, yeah. So um, let's get into this. The one, the big one, five zero. I've I've never thought. This podcast would make it this far, and I'm even though I feel a bit bad because I'm not keeping up to my goal here, I'm still kind of proud that I actually made it to 150 episodes. Um, this is after the next outlaws, definitely my second uh, most enduring podcast project in the uh, how oh, it's coming, it's almost like you know, with it, like, um, it's coming up to almost 20 years and I'm podcasting um so I really started in 2006 so it's like 17 years um so I'm kind of proud of that um but you know let's not be proud too much uh proud too much let's get into what we're doing here so this is the latest in a um continuing series of stuff where I just go through the twitter files and I'm I'm like organizing stuff that that belongs together so today is going to be from three different as I said three different um threads from three different authors um if you go to private press in the show notes there's a link to the tag the twitter files tag it's also at the top of the show notes as well um if you click on that you can get the previous one if you're interested in this um this is uh very important to me this very um topic we're talking about today because obviously i was um um kind of um i think you would call it COVID skeptic i i wasn't skeptical of the actual disease, neither the COVID, the disease, nor the virus, SARS-CoV-2, um, I mean, f- from the very beginning. But I was very skeptical of the reporting that was done on it. And I believe for a long time, um, I have believed that, um, and it's kind of not really a belief, it's just, I think, um, empirical um you know, empirical facts, but it's just, like, stuff that I've personally seen. So it was kind of, you know, it's kind, of, it was kind of um, anecdotal, really. But, you know, I think a lot of people had the same thing where we, like, really didn't feel that what was reported um, in the media and in public discourse on Twitter and other social networks was really um, what was going on in reality, right? There was all this stuff being reported, and then you just talk to people, and you heard that out in the world there was very different experiences, um, both on the actual disease and, you know, what, what happened, people getting reinfected even though they had gotten the vaccine and people being protected um, because they have, had gotten sick before. But, like, you know, the, the, the public discourse saying, well, they really need to get the vaccine, but, like, it didn't seem to make any sense. Um, then when the vaccines came up, there was vaccine skeptics who were shouted down, um, and then we very quickly, you know, I heard from people because obviously also not a lot of doctors, uh, my wife works in a hospital, um, you know, I w- learned of, um, uh, you know, side effects or, you know, just things that happened with the vaccine where people got the vaccine, they still got infected and stuff like that, which was like denied in the press, But anybody who was paying attention, it was kind of obvious, even though, even only from anecdotal evidence, that that wasn't like the whole story. Uh, And today um, we're gonna see why why this happened because it turns out, (laughs) turns out the conspiracy theory was right. We were being manipulated. Um so there was a conspiracy actually going an actual conspiracy like people at several social networks behind the scenes using stuff like a Jira uh bug tracking system to basically um you know uh, uh, suppress stories um and and the most uh, amazing uh, and kind of egregious thing we're going to see today like in the last part I'm going to concentrate on this um that there was actual truth, uh, factual information that was suppressed. And the people who um, were doing it knew that, and they were actually admitting it. Um, but we're going to start with, this is the like the first part. This is a piece in the Free Press by uh, David Zweig, um, who uh, talks about how, um, you know, from his headline, how Twitter rigged the, uh, they say, COVID debate, you know, the SARS-CoV-2 debate, the pandemic debate. Um, he starts his piece with, Following, um, you know, everything's in show notes, show notes private citizen or press. You want read along, but he starts with the following. He opens this article like this I'd always thought a primary job with the press was to be skeptical of power, especially the power of the government. But during the COVID 19 pandemic, I and so many others found that the legacy media had shown itself to largely operate as a messaging platform for public health institutions. Those institutions operated in near-total lockstep, in part by purging internal dissidents and discrediting outside experts. Twitter became an essential alternative. It was a place where those with public health expertise and perspectives at odds with official policy could air their views, and where curious citizens could find find such information. This often included other countries' responses to COVID that differed dramatically from our own. But it quickly became became clear that Twitter also seemed to promote content that reinforced the establishment narrative and to suppress views and even scientific evidence that ran to the contrary. Um and to just be clear this is not you know everything these days is 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 divided into this I mean they divide us to conquer us there's a there's a great song by country music artist Cody Jinx, who I really like um, about the news where he basically says, you know, it's a the age-old thing. Um, first they divide us, and then they, um, you know, send us against each other so that they can basically keep on ruling. <laughs> um, and he's right on that. So, but this is, um, you know, it's often made up to be like, you know, the left, the right, the progressive, the conservative. It's, this issue is not like that at all. This was a true bipartisan problem, Um because both U.S. governments uh, engaged in this kind of fudging of the narrative, both Trump and Biden, um, as David Zweig continues uh, internal emails that I view that I viewed at Twitter, showed that both the Trump and Biden administrations directly pressed Twitter executives to moderate the platform's content according to their wishes. One area of so-called misinformation quote runs on runs on grocery stores. End quote. This was one of Trump's things. Um, and uh, the trouble with that, uh, uh, but the trouble is that it wasn't misinformation. There actually were runs on goods, and it wasn't just Twitter. The meetings with the Trump White House were also attended by Google, Facebook, Microsoft, and others. When the Biden administration took over, its agenda for the American people can be summed up as: be very afraid of COVID and do exactly as we say to stay safe. And um, so, what actually happened? So the government went, both you know, the U.S. government, both Biden and Trump, went to Twitter, um, uh, and and basically, uh, you know, uh, I mean, it wasn't like the government; it was like people from the government, right? um, and they 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 did stuff to change what was being, for lack of a better word, reported on Twitter uh, to conform more to the official government narrative so you know critical people were suppressed so people that were critical of the government's policies of um, SARS-CoV-2 and vaccines were suppressed now this is very interesting because it's all very U.S. centric but it it, it applies to all of us like all this stuff applies to me in Germany because the all of this was in lockstep right so the German COVID response very much in lockstep with the U.S. response and by the U.S. government going to Twitter and suppressing information it served the german government as well um but you know they not only did that was the suppression of journalists but also of health uh, professionals so continuing in this piece uh by the summer of 2021 biden announced publicly that social media companies were quote quick killing people by allowing misinformation about vaccines uh because you know that's how that's how you kill people, right? I mean, all of this. I'm I'm gonna try to not editorialize too much. It, it is this is all these viewpoints by these people are ridiculous, right? So even if you have misinformation about vaccines, there is a decision that that the person, um, like you know, in in the old school world, um, you know, where we used to believe in 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 democracy and 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 civil rights and and the right of a person to decide their own fate, um, even if there is misinformation that would lead somebody to um, believe that the vaccines weren't um, effective, whoever spreads that misinformation is not killing these people because there's a decision that person makes based on that information that is their decision. And it is their responsibility. So nobody is killing them. They are killing themselves. It might be tragic because they're um uh acting on false information, you know, and I would think that is I'm not being um facetious, I would think that is um tragic, but it is in the end their responsibility. Um it is akin to me. Um you know when i when I, I I ride a motorbike when I step on my mo- when i when I sit on my motorbike and I ride out um you know my garage um I put myself into danger, and whether I assess that danger correctly or not or what information I assess that on what the government told me what other people told me it really doesn't matter. it is my responsibility right and if I kill myself on the motorbike, it is nobody nobody's but my fault in the end, right? Although, you know, that's kind of a bad example because if somebody, you know, takes my right of way and just just blatantly just goes for me in a car and kills me, it's kind of their fault as well. Um, but, like, that's a, a very much a, a in contrast to this where, you know, um, it's nobody's fault if somebody elects to not um, get vaccinated and, you know, they might possibly die because of that down the road. It is their own responsibility. Um, and that's how it's always been. We're going to talk about that a bit later, but I mean, I might, I might as well lead with this now. Um, so you learn when you go to school and 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 you have um, politics class. The first thing you learn, or the first thing you should learn, um, is that Democracy is a system that is based on the uh, foundation, on the foundational belief that adult people make their own decisions. They make informed decisions and they decide who should rule them. That's what democracy is about. It is based very much on the idea that people are able to make, like, ad- adult people are able to make their own decision. And you learn that, of course, people make wrong decisions and they get misinformed, um, but that is par for the course in democracy. That is what you accept if you accept the democratic system. The moment anybody, the, the moment you go and and dispute this, you know, the moment you go and suggest that that people are not educated enough, or to, you know, too dumb, or too distracted, or whatever, um, to be able to make their own decision. You are attacking democracy. Um, that is the that has been the argument of despots and dictators and um, totalitarian regimes throughout history, like universally. And we're talking like literally from the Roman Republic on, like probably from ancient Greece onwards, you know, through the middle ages, this is my Kings. This is how Kings justified ruling over other people by saying these people are not educated enough. We have to decide for them. This is how every dictator is. This is how Hitler, how Stalin, how Pol Pot, how every other day, di- like, I don't know, Fidel fucking Castro, anybody you can imagine, um, Probably Mao Zedong, uh, and 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 I'm guessing you know North Korea is ruler in the same way. Um, this is how these people argue. They argue that that the, the masses are are dumb, and that you need to that educated people know better. You know, people that know better should make decisions for them. Anyway, I, mean, I was just gonna go. I was just going into that because this is gonna become important later on. Um, but of course, this is idiotic, right? Um, so by the summer of 2021, Biden announced publicly that social media companies were, quote, killing people by allowing misinformation about vaccines. Right? Anybody who is a democratically elected president and who runs a um, presumably, you know, uh, a democratic state that is governed by the rule of law, that says something like this. Just declared themselves unfit for office, as far as I'm concerned. But okay, let's move on. Um, just hours later, Twitter locked ju- um, journalist and vaccine skeptic Alex Berenson out of his account, and then permanently suspended him in hi- him the next month. Berenson sued Twitter. He ultimately settled with the company and is now back on the platform. As part of the lawsuit, Twitter was compelled to provide certain internal communications. They revealed that the White House had directly met with Twitter employees and pressured them to take action on Berenson. So this is a journalist. I don't, you know, the next um, part of the Twitter files that we're going to talk about is actually by Alex Berenson. And uh, obviously I I respect that work, but I really don't agree with his anti-vaccine stuff he did but you know that's okay right because i don't have to agree with every journalist um and i mean the, the fact that he said he had a lot he sued twitter and then twitter settled and reinstated him and probably pay, paid him a lot of money which means they basically probably I mean, they can't, nobody can talk about all this, you know, as a settlement. So no, they're not talking. But it seems like they gave him everything he wanted because obviously he was right, right? Um, um, because he wasn't a nut job, right? He was he was posting vaccine skeptical stuff that I would think um, was probably, I mean, I wouldn't agree with, and I, I think was probably bad advice. Um, but you know that's that's what happens, right? Um, you can go to a doctor and get bad advice. Like you wouldn't like fucking you know, suspend the doctor's license just because they. I mean, it, it's just it's just idiotic anyway. Um, so the White House had directly met with Twitter employees to pressure them to take action on Barron, so on a journalist, right? But. Twitter did suppress views and not just those of journalists like Berenson. Many medical and public health professionals who expressed perspectives or even cited findings from accredited academic journals that conflicted with official positions were also targeted. As a result, legitimate findings and questions about COVID policies and their consequences went missing. And I noticed this too. Anybody who has followed the story must have noticed this, right? So there was a It was like a narrative that, you know, the press, the mainstream press, legacy press, uh, kept, um, was was at any given time, there was like this narrative. And then, because I'm, you know, I'm interested in, in science and uh, (laughs) my wife's a biologist. I was like, actually for a while, quite up on like PubMed and reading like all the new studies and stuff. And, I gave up at some point because you just, there was just so much shit coming in. But, like, you could very early on, you could, you could see that there were, you know, anything. Like, at first it was like, how is the virus spread? And then it was like, is it aerosols? You know, how big are the aerosols? And, like, on every given issue, there were differences in opinion, which is what science is, is like. But you could see that that constantly on social media, and especially on Twitter, um, the um, the narrative that, you know, the the mainstream press the who the cdc whatever I had picked for the moment um had more sway and like there wasn't so i knew these other people uh, um uh, uh, papers existed for example like but and i knew they were being posted i saw people posting them but they weren't taking off um and you didn't see as much so it was obvious to me that something was going on but at this point you know it was basically a, a conspiracy theory although it was Kind of, it was really, really obvious, and it was really dumb because you know this thing, this stuff kept changing, and I talked about this on the show a lot. How like you know the CDC had one opinion and then published that, and 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 then it changed, and then they they did a three hundred and sixty, right? Which is okay. That's how science works, and you have a developing situation. It's completely okay to go with what everybody believes. And then change your you know, change your opinion when 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 the facts lean the other way. That's okay. The problem is in the meantime, suppressing all the other information. Because it might turn out, and it did in many cases it just turn out to be right later on. Um, you know, which is like really, really dumb. And it was like uh it, it was also um really obvious and you know also stuff from like you know this this wasn't any like misinformation this was like nature this was like the bigger you know this was like the lancet publishing something and then you know that was just not being being discussed it was like um extremely weird um and extremely obvious now um the twitter was doing this you know if you go to the i've a linked to the actual piece and they have like you know i didn't put all the sc- i didn't put the screenshots in the show notes um which actually uh you know are kind of the their um you know the the, the 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 proof or you know the, 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 the things from the actual documents that show uh what what Spike's talking about um but like um doing this is is obviously wrong right from a from a moral um perspective um it it's it's understandable that the government does this. It's what the government does, right? Propaganda. It's like they have a uh they have a policy and they want people to follow the policy. That is understandable. The problem is that the social media company is then, you know, um getting leaned on and they follow that and the press actually follows that. Um But okay, then let leaving that you know leaving that aside for the moment, um Zweig continues and he um identifies like the how like m- you know why why the process that Twitter employed was problematic <laughs> on a technical level like it's obviously problematic from a very moral <laughs> and like is this like if you ask yourself the question is this the right thing to do um is obviously the answer is no right obviously to me um as somebody who's Trained in skeptical thinking. The people who are doing this obviously were thinking they were doing the right thing. We'll actually see that later uh, a lot more also in other Twitter file stories that are coming up. But yeah. Um, so so Zweig inde- identifies the following three problems with the technical process that Twitter employed. First... Much of the content moderation covid to say nothing of other contentious subjects, was conducted by bots trained on machine learning and ai though impressive in the engineering the bots would prove too crude for such nuanced work no <laughs> oh, shit when you drag a digital trawler across a social media platform you're not just catching cheap fish you're going to snack dolphins along the way Two contractors operating in places like the Philippines were also moderating content. So you know this shit is still going on, right? By the way, I, I talked about this on LinkedIn on a previous episode. How this happened to me, and I explained how like the AI is shit, and then the contractors are shit. But yeah, yeah, this it was it was also that that analysis was based on this because yeah, obviously I read this months ago. But yeah, um, so point so two, contractors operating in places like the Philippines were also moderating content. They were given decision trees to aid in their process, but tasking non-experts to educate tweets on complex topics like myocarditis and mask efficacy data was destined for a significant error rate. I like how understated this writing is. The notion that remote workers sitting in distant cube farms are going to police medical information to this gen- granular degree is absurd on its face. This is all like, I mean, I, I why this was going on, I was sitting, um, you know, we're in the pandemic, like people debating, do not masks work, right? How do they work? Or well, do that work? Like, how is this virus spreading? I was literally sitting at a dinner table with like three doctors. I mean, okay, they weren't epidemiologists, but they were like cellular biologists, right? They'd read on on all about, about this shit. Like one um, person actually had published the premier paper on myocarditis on this, I think, at least in Germany, but I think it was one of the first papers on this in the world. They actually did the first analysis of this. Um, and they were discussing this stuff, and it was quite contentious, right? There was there was some people there um, who were all cell biologists, you know, they were um, specializing in, um, you know, heart diseases, you know, stuff like myocarditis, and the fibrillation and stuff like that, and then they were they were going, like, yeah, this looks interesting, but like I you know I've read this stuff," and they were like wildly disagreeing, um, you know, which is fine, that's how science works. but like you have like experts in the like they know words that I don't like I couldn't like they could, could tell you the word, and we all wouldn't know what like they were they were talking about cells that were discovered like ten years ago. That no nobody at any like news outlet knows what this is, you know, and no, but no fucking contractor that gets paid like a dollar an hour, a uh, dollar a day, probably, like in the fucking Philippines or whatever. And like, you know, like when the when the foremost experts on it, well, they weren't the foremost expert, but like when the, when when experts in a very specialized topic don't agree on this kind of stuff, how could like a contractor in a cube form, right? Anyway, three. Most importantly, the bug stopped with higher level employees at Twitter. And we've heard about this before. They chose the inputs for the bots and decision trees. They determined suspensions. And as in the case with all people and institutions, there was both individual and collective bias. And I've talked about this previously. Um, I mean, the bias at Twitter was obviously massive. Um, at Twitter, COVID-related bias uh, bent heavily towards establish- establishment dogmas, inevitably dis- dissident yet legitimate content was labeled as misinformation and the accounts of doctors and others were suspended both for tweeting opinions and demonstrably true information and this would have probably happened to me at the time except i was already like fucking shadow banned i'm sorry uh, uh, visibility filtered. (laughs) um so now we're getting into the (laughs) really important thing right because like i mean i'm saying this i don't really believe this but like you know if I really play devil's advocate and I really bent myself, we can have a discussion uh, where, you know, you have a contentious topic and you don't really know what's going on. And there's like government, uh, there's a government opinion of government agencies and there's like dissidents. You could, you could, like if I'm really drunk, <laughs> you know, you know, if, if you if you give me a a a, a whole bottle of kum or whatever, uh uh we could get to a point where you know we could start arguing that 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 might be good for society. I still I don't believe that. Just not me. But like there is a remote argument. But now we're getting to get into an area where there's no argument whatsoever. Like of course these people still think what they did was right. But I think they're like, dilute. I think they're possibly uh, there's something like they're possibly sick. There's something wrong with their brain, because now we're getting to the point where they were censoring, suppressing factual information, uh, <laughs> because it, it it you know it ran counter to the to the, the government narrative, um, the prevailing narrative and and, and they, they they think that's a good thing um you know because uh <laughs> so we we're talking about data that contradicted say the CDC that was classed as misinformation right um so data that was factual but contradicted the CDC was classed as misinformation moderators flagged tweets with information that was correct because they themselves were biased towards certain kinds of information Basically, um, this is how I, you know, I initially noted this down. Um, so um, to continue in, in, this, in this story, a tweet by at Kelly KGA, a self-programmed public health fact checker with more than 18,000 followed, followers was flagged as, quote, misleading and replies and likes disabled for showing that COVID was not the leading cause of death in children, even though it cited the CDC's own data. Internal records showed that a bot had flagged the tweet. Of course, you know, being AI, not intelligent, and that it received many tattles. What the system amusingly called reports from users, that triggered a manual review by a human, who, despite the tweet showing actual CDC data, nevertheless labeled it as misleading. Telling the tweet by Kelly KGA that was labeled misleading, uh, tellingly, the tweet by K. Kelly KGA that was labeled misleading was a reply to a tweet that contained actual misinformation, right? So there's a guy who says something that contradicts the CDC data and this person, Kelly KGA replies, "Um, what an excellent uh, example of cherry picking if you narrow it down to only the specific months you specify which include the largest COVID wave seen across the world and you ignore all non-disease deaths and you ignore cancer, heart disease, SIDS, and then COVID is then COVID is leading. And quotes the fucking CDC data on this, which, I mean, this is also not... like We're not talking like this stuff I was talking before, where it's like very specific and it's up in the air. This is something that, that was always true before the pandemic. It was true during the pandemic, and it was true after the pandemic. Like the leading... Um, so we're talking about... The leading cause of death. Um, uh, what was that again? Well, uh, let me. Um, so the leading cause of death in children. Um, so not even like when you're going not even children in, in 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 other people right when you look over the population, the leading cause of death during the pandemic in other people was never SARS CoV two. It wasn't even like all respiratory viruses combined. It's always um, pulmonary uh, or um, uh, what's it? Um, sorry, I'm 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 blanking on the word. Um, it's not only heart, but also like um, God. I'm gonna have to look this up now. Uh, blanking on the English word. Kreislauferkrankungen the wonderful German word Kreislauf what, what do you get you get Kreislauf why can't I why can't I translate this this Herz Herz Kreislauf that's the that's the full Herz cardiac and circulatory troubles that is not good um, that's not the word I'm looking for Uh, God, I'm going to have to do live searches. You know, it's just, it's all fucked. Uh, What's the fucking word I'm looking for? Cardiovascular disease. Thank you, Google. (laughs) Um, Cardiovascular diseases is always the leading cause of death in in humans. Because, you know, we're talking heart disease. We're talking like high blood pressure, like fucking, um, you know, uh, strokes, blood vessels popping in your brain, all kinds of stuff. I mean, that's always been like that. That's been an it's probably been since the the earliest days of mankind, like our life changes and those things even actually get worse these days compared to like the Middle Ages, whatever. But like it's the leading cause of death um, ever, like and especially in children, because there were like the death rate in children. And we know this now uh, from SARS-CoV-2 was minuscule compared to like the overall population. It was actually apparent from the beginning I was saying that from the very beginning on the show, but like it's been very borne out, but the point is this is a tweet um that is not only is it quoting the fucking c d c. data it's always it's also obvious to anybody who's just just looked at this for a second, of course the k i the the a i can't do this. But like the human, I mean, of course, the, the fucking guy in the cubicle won't do this. And it's still the same problem. Like the the thing I was talking about at LinkedIn is the exact same process. Probably some AI flagged this, and then I, I escalated it for a human to um, to look at it. And they were like, "No, no, no, it's still misinformation." And I was obviously on that show. I was quoting Doctor Anthony Fauci. <laughs> like it was so obvious that it wasn't misinformation. Like that it was the most trusted source by all these people like it's like it's like this it's like you actually you act, you, you attach a fucking a table from the CDC right and they're like misleading uh, Is also the, 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 the attachment is totally dumb it says like misleading learn why health officials consider COVID-19 vaccines safe for most people it's not even about vaccines <laughs> it's <laughs> it's so dumb. Um, and, like, it's it's getting even worse. Like, um, so the next thing that happened was, um, and this is something you probably remember, there was a huge outcry in the press. So Donald Trump got SARS-CoV-2 um, and then went to hospital. And he came out of hospital and he tweeted the following. I will be leaving. The, this was when he was still on Twitter, of course. I, I will be leaving. I will be leaving – I can't do Trump. Uh, I I will be leaving the the great Walter Reed Medical – I can't do it. I'm just going to read it straight. I will be leaving the great Walter Reed Medical Center today at 6.30 p.m. Finally, feeling really good. Don't be afraid of COVID. Don't let it dominate your life. We have developed under the Trump administration some really great drugs and some really great drugs to knowledge. I feel better than I did 20 years – no, he's Indian. I feel better than I did 20 years ago. So, like, he was like, okay, I'm like an old fucking overweight guy, and I got this, and they just pumped all these drugs into me, and now I'm great. Right. But, like, the message here is don't be afraid of COVID. Of course, this message, Trump was still president, this is October 2020, um, ran counter to what Biden's message would be later on, right? Um, But, yeah, so that's what he tweeted, right? Uh, now it turned out that it was even dangerous to uh, to not be afraid. <laughs> uh, to quote this uh, this piece by David Zweig, um, in a surreal exchange, Jim Baker, this is the ex FBI lawyer that we uh, we talked about previously, <laughs> douchebag, uh, in a surreal. Ser- in a surreal exchange, Jim Baker at the time, Twitter's deputy general counsel, asks why telling people to not be afraid wasn't a violation of Twitter's COVID-19 misinformation policy. And now, you know, you, Roth, who I've dumped on before, he's actually um, also did some good stuff. In his reply, Joel Roth, Twitter's former head of trust and safety, had to explain that optimism wasn't misinformation. I mean, like, who what, what are these? I mean... Jim Baker, right? He's a lawyer. He was one of the top lawyers for the FBI. The guy obviously isn't dumb. I think like, you know, I, I would never manage to study law because I find it incredibly boring, but like you need a, you you need at least the ability to understand things, to memorize things. Right. So the guy isn't like completely dumb. Like, what's wrong here? These people just like, they're deluded. I think they're just deluded. They're like smelling their own farts all day. And they, they, they're just like in their own little bubble. Um, Like what the fuck? So to end this, this bit, um, a bottom line, we're talking about Twitter's response to the pandemic. Um, It's like ends this story. Basically, we're saying um, throughout the pandemic, Twitter repeatedly propped up the official government line that prioritizing mitigation over, uh, over other concerns was the best approach to the pandemic. Information that challenged that view, for example, that pointed out the low risk children faced from the virus or that uh, raised questions about vaccine safety of, or effectiveness, was subject to moderation and suppression. Um If if that doesn't sound like Twitter was basically the unofficial propaganda department for the U.S. government, I don't know. I don't know. Um, Like, (sighs) I can, you know, on one hand, I can kind of understand they were all in their bubble. They were thinking that we're doing something good and they're just a company, right? So they're f- they're basically fold when the government comes and they think like the government's doing the right thing, so I can kind of understand that. And then it didn't come out, but now it's out in the o- why isn't this fucking all over the press? Oh, that's a rhetorical question. I know why because the press was on the same fucking side, right? So, but I'm not really I'm I'm a beyond. So I'm not blaming the US government for doing this because propaganda is what governments do. And I'm actually almost beyond like blaming Twitter because we know now and, you know, thanks to Musk, it's come out. Um, so, yeah, they were, you know, they just had certain biases and they were doing this stuff. But who I blame is the fucking press because the press was on the same side, which is fine. Right? If they, if the well, it's not fine because you know really what the press was, the mainstream press was doing during the pandemic, was just patronizing people, and that's not what you do as a journalist, right? You give people information, Um, but it's fine. It's almost like even fine if that was if you thought, you know, the information from the government at the time was the actual information, but but after the fact we learn that actually no. Um, this whole like construct of what we thought reality was like came about because people were actually manipulating the sources for the news, i.e. Twitter in this case and, and other social networks. And, and that's that's why nobody was talking about the the, the the contradictory facts. Then you fucking, you know, you have a, responsible, a responsibility as a journalist to admit. You don't even have to admit you're wrong. You just have to report this now to balance it out. And they're not fucking doing this. And that's what makes me really mad. Um, But, you know, um, I've been going on and there's still other stuff to go to. So let's move on to the next topic. Which is kind of the same topic. Uh, Because now this is a a piece by Alex Berenson, who we uh, mentioned, uh, talked about before, and uh, who had don't really agree with um i had some um i had some comments on the forum about um um like my comments on that i think that vaccines work so i'm going to go into that um answering this feedback which i'm not going to do to do this show because i'm pre-recording this and this is probably going to be long anyway so i'm going to do that in the following episode uh, but i'm going to address this whole thing but suffice it to say that i think generally i'm um I'm I'm pretty pro-vaccine, right? And I took, like, fucking, like, four, four, was it four? No, was it three? No, is this four COVID? I took a lot of vaccines, right? So I'm not, like, not against vaccines. But that doesn't mean that what we're talking about now, uh, you know, this is really good reporting with Baronson because what he found out with the Twitter files is that Twitter wasn't only manipulating Uh, like reality, the discourse on his platform, you know, bending it towards government propaganda. No, they were doing the same thing uh, for company propaganda or as, you know, some people call it PR. Um, And in this case, uh, so this is, this one company is this one instance. I'm going to assume this happened in other instances as well, but we don't really know. But like, in this instance, they're doing it for a multi billion dollar private company. Uh, in this case, oh no, I think they're pub- publicly traded, but I, yeah, but they are publicly traded. They're a multi billion dollar company. We're talking about Pfizer. Uh, so in, 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 in this story, um, Berenson talks about how Pfizer manipulated public discourse on Twitter. On August 27th, 2021, Dr. Dr. Scott Gottlieb. Pfizer director with over 550,000 Twitter followers saw a tweet he didn't like. A tweet that might hurt sales of Pfizer's mRNA vaccines. Now, you're going to understand that Berenson's very anti-mRNA vaccines, but I don't think that matters in this story. Um, The tweet explained correctly that natural immunity after COVID infection was superior to vaccine protection. And um, just a side note, I mean, this is always the case for any, any vaccine, really, because, and it's, that's just a no, that's just like common sense. Um, this is like basic high school biology class uh, knowledge, right? So what a vaccine does is it artificially triggers the immune system. And, you know, getting a virus and getting the immune system naturally triggered is always um better in in the sense of eliciting the immune response, it's not technically better because the vaccine does it without in you know if it works correctly, it does it without harming your body right and the problem is that if you get the virus, the virus you know if you're if you're immune immunosuppressed or if you have other problems or so if you're just plain unlucky, the virus can kill you whereas the vaccine cannot so the vaccine is preferable. Um, because it doesn't kill you, you know. <laughs> Hopefully, the, the likelihood of the vaccine killing you is is a lot less than the virus killing. Let's put it that way. But, you know, if everything goes according to plan, the vaccine is just harmless, but it triggers an immune response. But that means you have less risk. It doesn't mean that immune response is better or as good as the one you get from the actual virus. Mostly it isn't, because you're doing it artificially, right? It's kind of like artif- artificial snow when you go skiing. It's it, it works. It's not as good as real snow, right? Um, so the treat explained correctly that natural immunity after COVID infection was superior to vaccine pre- protection. No brainer. It called on the White House to, quote, quote, follow the science. I hate that term. And exempt people with national immunity from upcoming vaccine mandates, which, you know, makes sense, which actually happened in a lot of countries. Uh, It came not from anti-vaxxers like Robert F. Kennedy Jr., but from Dr. Brett Girard, a physician who briefly followed Gottlieb as the head of the Food and Drug Administration. So, like, you know... They were both heads of the FDA at one point. Further, the tweet actually encouraged people who did not have natural immunity to get vaccinated. Right, so this this was like completely reasonable. That tweet, it it's it's logical, it makes sense. It says people um, who don't have natural immunity get vaccinated. It says if you if you have natural immunity, you don't need to. And uh, Gottlieb presumably objected to it just based on the fact that. Were not for that tweet, people who have natural immunity might as get vaccinated anyway, and 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 give Pfizer money, or the you know government giving the money. Um, by suggesting some people might not need COVID vaccinations, the tweet could raise questions about the shots. Beside being former FDA commissioner, a CNBC contributor. <laughs> And a prominent voice on COVID public policy, Gottlieb was a senior board member at Pfizer, which depended on um, mRNA jabs for almost half of its uh, $81 billion in sales in 2021. Pfizer paid Gottlieb $365,000 for his work that year, which is actually not that much. So I think that's a big company him being on the board, but you know, it's uh, it's a third of a of a million and probably. You know, you can get some bonus or whatever. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so so Pfizer um this is the mRNA they, Pfizer actually licensed that um first mRNA vaccine from that German company Biomtech, who adopted a um this M, this mRNA technique, which was originally designed to fight cancer. So basically they were making um personalized cancer drugs for like cancer that that you can't really beat with like, you know. The stuff everybody uses, you know, like radiotherapy and chemotherapy, very specialized cancer where you can you can actually tailor the the, the person's immune response to attack the mm-hmm. cancer. Um, so, and they were adopting that. They were like, why don't we turn this into a vaccine? We have this pandemic, and then you know, Pfizer bought this technology, made those people very very rich, and and became very rich in the process. Uh, specifically, Pfizer made thirty six point eight billion dollars in twenty twenty-one and thirty-seven point eight billion dollars in twenty twenty-two from this vaccine. Um, and that's um, uh, revenue I believe. Um anyway, continuing the story, Gottlieb stepped in, emailing Todd Boyle Todd O'Boyle, a top lobbyist in Twitter's Washington office, who was also Twitter's point of contact with the White House. The post was quote corrosive, Gottlieb wrote. He wrote it would, quote, end up going viral and driving news coverage. Fair enough. You know, the the, uh, the Twitter person said, yeah, okay. So well, it's like, it's factual. W- w- what do you mean? Um, Through Jira an internal system, Twitter used for managing complaints. O'Boyle forwarded Gottlieb's email to the Twitter, quote, strategic response. Strategic response. I mean, they have, like, plate carriers, you know, got, like, <laughs> They've got like uh, six-hour MCX uh, shit, like flashbangs, the strategic response team. That group was responsible for handling concerns from the company's most important employees and users. Quote, please see this report from the form- former FDA commissioner and quote O'Boyle wrote, failing to mention that Gottlieb was a Pfizer board member with a financial interest in pushing mRNA shots. I mean, I could have looked that up, but I do really want to. A strategic response analyst, it sounds like people working for the CIA, that's exactly the problem here. Uh, A strategic response analyst quickly found the tweet, uh, quickly found the tweet did not violate any of the company's misinformation rules. No, because it was factual. Yet Twitter wound up flagging Giro's tweet anyway, putting a misleading tag on it and preventing almost anyone from seeing it. It remains tagged even though several large studies have confirmed the truth of Giro's words. And uh, since it worked, uh, the Pfizer guy tried it again. A week later, on September 3rd, 2021, Gottlieb tried to strike again, complaining to O'Boyle about a tweet from Justin Hart. Hart is a lockdown and COVID vaccine skeptic with more than 10,000 Twitter followers. Quote, sticks and stones may break my bones, but a viral pathogen with a child mortality rate of roughly 0% has cost our children nearly three years of schooling. Hart had written. Now this is more, this is not, as factual but it is opinion and it's not like really wrong right i mean it's about like the the whole about zero percent is just silly because like it's point something it's it's not zero so children have died from it but it's incredibly low um why why gottlieb objected to Hart's words is not clear but the pfizer shot would soon be approved for children Five to eleven, representing another massive market for Pfizer. Parents could con- be convinced COVID was a real threat to their kids, and this actually happened, right? Um, I've heard from many, many friends here in Germany as well. They're like, um, obviously, I don't have kids. <laughs> well, I'm almost I want to say for obvious reasons, but like, there were actually you know lots of these people were vaccinating their kids, like journalist friends. And even though I, I, I kept, I, I was very quiet, but I was like at least, like, to some people who I thought could take it. I was like, you know, um, have you actually looked at the child? It's like, it's a joke. But, okay. Um, O'Boyle referred to, quote, former FDA Commissioner Gottlieb, end quote, when he forwarded the report, again, ignoring Gottlieb's can't work for Pfizer. At least Twitter didn't comply the same time. Um, this time, though, Gottlieb's complaint was so far afield that Twitter refused to act. So Twitter sometimes also did right decisions, but Seems to be like more on accident. Um I mean, of course, um <laughs> if you read about Pfizer's history, this is not like it's very much on brand, you know, this kind of like corrupt behavior. It's just amazing to me that the press, like the mainstream press hasn't covered this. Um, uh, because you know, of course Berenson is a is a vaccine critic, so you can't believe anything he says, even though like you could like this these are public tweets and the status of the tweet is like you could verify it. And you could probably figure out um like you know that the whole thing that, that Gottlieb did this was, was true. I mean you could ask like the most amazing thing about the whole Twitter files in general, just a quick discourse, is that um you know, people attack them and people are skeptical. And I don't really understand why, because if you're like a little bit, um, if you're just a little bit capable of like critical thinking, thinking for yourself, it's quite obvious um, that nobody has denied any of this, right? Current and former Twitter employees haven't denied, like Joe Roth hasn't denied the stuff that's in here. The FBI, I mean, I talk about this, the FBI hasn't denied this stuff. All the people involved, like if you'd asked Pfizer directly, they wouldn't deny this because you could probably sue them and then get the Twitter file stuff from Discovery from Twitter and they would lose and they know. So they're not they're not saying they're just like pretending it never none of this ever happened. Nobody has fucking denied this. So the only contrary reporting to the Twitter files is like mainstream press. It's journalists. Going after, going after Matt Taibbi, after Alex Berenson, with, like, attacking them at hominem, like, going, like, this is their past, this is what they did in the past, you know, he's a vaccine critic, Taibbi's, like, I don't know, he, he was, like, really crazy, he took a lot of drugs and was, like, disrespectful towards women when he was young and living in the, in, 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 in the Soviet Union. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> he's, he's a fan of Hunter S. Thompson, for fuck's sake. Um, but they're not going, like, this is untrue. And here's why. They're not even claiming it's untrue without, like, saying why. Like, because they can't. Because it's obviously true. It's, it's amazing how people don't see this. Or they, see, or don't, they don't see that, like, the only, like, that, that MSNBC interview to Ibi did where they, like, really attacked him. They were attacking him, like, on minor points where he got, like, a fucking acronym wrong. Or he's like got a got two elections mixed up, but like none of the major points he makes are like even touched by this, or are disputed by these people who are trying to take him down. They just take him them down with like minor inconsistency in the story, without actually addressing the actual story. It's like it's so fucking transparent. It's so obvious. It's like. When you have a leak, it's like when, you, it's, when, when the Snowden revelations came out and, like, you weren't saying this isn't true. Like, you didn't have the NSA saying, like, this isn't true. But they were just quiet. They were just trying quiet and hoping this would go away because it is obviously was fucking true. <laughs> anyway, so this story ends uh, with Berenson saying, um, Gottlieb is not just a Pfizer board member. He's one of seven members. Um, so, oh, before I get into that, so the the real what I was trying to say there, the real problem is that the mainstream press is not covering this, and they're attacking these journalists instead of covering this. So, like this corrupt fucking behavior by 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 people like this Pfizer guy just goes goes unnoticed, and so basically they're protected. They're protected from public scrutiny, which is exactly the opposite of what the press is supposed to do. Anyway, the story ends with, Gottlieb is not just a Pfizer board member. I mean, that would be enough, but he's not just a Pfizer board member. He's one of seven members of the board's executive committee and the head of its regulatory and compliance committee, which oversees, quote, compliance with laws, regulations, and internal procedures applicable to pharmaceutical sales and marketing activities. (laughs) Pfizer has a long history of violating drug industry laws, no shit, and ethic rules. In 2009, it agreed to pay $2.3 billion, the largest healthcare fraud settlement in American history, for fraudulently marketing several drugs. In 1996, it conducted a clinical trial, this is famous, by the way, in 1996, it conducted a clinical trial of an antibiotic in Nigeria, in which 11 children died, and which became the inspiration for Jean Le Carré's novel, The Constant Gardener. That's a fucking amazing novel, by the way. And that whole story is just, it's like an Amer, like it, it's It's just almost. It's 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 sad, but it's almost funny for its like historic, um, like parallels. It's like an American company going to Africa, and killing little black kids, um, by 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 experimenting on them with drugs, um, and <laughs> basically getting away with it. Um, so yeah, it's it's not really a surprise that Pfizer would do this, but like it's again, uh, uh, I mean, here it's even it's more amazing that Twitter would go with it because we're not talking about the government; we're talking about a hundred billion dollar pharma company. Like we're talking like literally big pharma, right? It's like they're notorious for being like the for perpetrating the worst excesses that like the people that work at Twitter, the progressive left people always talk about, you know, they used to talk about the, um, yeah, what was it? ends uh, was it ca- capitalism? Like I forgot the term. It hasn't, hasn't been used in so long. Um, the, uh, was the late stage capitalism, you know, this is like your enemy. This is like the, 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 the literally Duck McScrooge <laughs> fucking company. Um, This is like the... This is obviously the evil guys. Doing evil shit. Going like, Hey, I'm a Pfizer board member. I don't like this tweet. We're making too much money on these vaccines. Please, invisibility filter this tweet. Yes, sir. Yes, yes, we will. You're doing... You're doing God's work, sir. Like... (laughs) What the actual fuck? But we're not even... We're not even there. It gets worse. It, it It gets worse. So you're not thinking it could get worse. It gets worse. So this is like a more recent Twitter thread. It's from last month. Matt Taibbi did this. This was like his last one. Um, He did. Um, And and now we're we're, we're getting into something that is just... um, This whole thing that I'm going to talk about now uh, to wrap up the show. It just always reminds me. um, There's a scene in, um, in the first season of Star Trek Picard, which don't watch it. It's horrible, and it's like, you can tell by the screen that scene that it's horrible because it's Picard, of course, John luc Picard, famous hero, famous captain, is now an admiral, um, and he goes, something happens, and he goes to Starfleet Command, and there's, like, this female admiral um, who tells him to fuck off, and he tells him he shouldn't be here, he shouldn't do this stuff because um, what he is... Um, showing uh in this scene uh is uh
1: sheer fucking hubris
0: and that's uh <laughs> you know the let's uh, it's just do it it's just so good sheer fucking hubris i don't like this whole scene i don't like this character but like that fucking quote is so good that's that's what we're coming up to now sheer fucking hubris we're now getting into the um, the territory where these people who are uh, doing this censorship, social network censorship, um, are now starting to censor things that are true. Factual things, factual statements, and they know they're factual and they're censoring them anyway. Um, to understand how they're doing this, um, I need to, be- before I get into this uh, piece by... Um, Taibbi, I need to get into something um, that I've learned recently um, and that is quite mind-blowing, but that we need to talk about because language is important, right? I I studied language. I'm a humanities student. I am a writer. Of of course, I believe that language is important and history, um, I think, would agree with me. Now, these people that are doing this, they are using three very specific terms and I heard two of them and I thought they were basically uh, interchangeable, but they're not. So there are three terms, disinformation, disinformation misinformation, and malinformation. Now we're going to explain what, three of, what all of these three terms mean. And I linked them to Wikipedia so you can look it up if you want to. So disinformation, which is the, I think the most well-known of these terms, disinformation is false information that is deliberately spread to deceive people. I would call that classic propaganda. False information that is deliberately spread to deceive people. So that means the information is wrong uh, and the people who are spreading it are doing it on purpose. Now, misinformation is incorrect or misleading information that isn't necessarily deliberately deceptive. So that means, I thought these terms were interchangeable, but they're very specific terms. Uh, so th- this means that the information in itself can can be correct or wrong uh, or, as is often the case, simply unverified or unverifiable. We talked about this kind of stuff on the show before as well. So um, it can be spread. It also, it can be spread originally by people who believe it to be true or don't care whether it's true or not. So in, a, in contrast to disinformation, it is not, um, neither is it, has it to be? Does it actually have to be, like, actual false information? Nor does it have to be like we're not talking pure along the chain because obviously, obviously, they often they mostly don't know they just spread it because you know they think it's true. But like the originating people, right? They, so in this case, misinformation doesn't even have to be malicious. Uh, maybe it is wrong information that these people believe to be correct, um, you know, or it's actually. Um, you know misleading information or whatever Um, and then there's a third term which is the interesting one which is malinformation this one's new malinformation is information that is true and factual but it is intentionally conveyed in order to and this is from wikipedia in order to inflict actual harm or cause the imminent threat of actual harm Um, and this is all bullshit So malinformation is basically what Al Gore would have called an inconvenient truth. Um, So the third term is the important one here. It is bullshit. It is a bullshit term created uh, to blend in with the first two. And um, it is designed to uh, negate the impact of facts that are inconvenient to somebody who's spreading propaganda. right? So if you have a propaganda story that you that is disinformation for example um that is not true but that you're trying to spread if you're the government or a company um and then there are facts actual facts true facts that show your disinformation to be disinformation to be wrong to discredit it then um you may call these facts malinformation information because they they're true but they're being spread to cause harm Um, Now, I object to this, like, my whole body objects to this very much for the reason that I've talked about earlier. Um, So, uh, you know, the reason about how uh, democracy works. Um, So the whole idea that factual information can cause harm um, is idiotic. (laughs) This doesn't happen in reality, not if you're living... In a, in a, um, in a, in a democratic, uh, law-abiding, you know, uh, 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 state under the rule of law, right? Um, now, factual information can cause harm to powerful people who are lying to you or the public, um, but like, you know, that harm isn't because of the information; it's because they're lying. <laughs> um, so. I think that people who argue these things, and if you don't agree with me, please let me know. Contact me. Uh, I will talk in a little bit about how you can provide feedback. Go to private citizen or press contact me. I want to know. I will not make fun of you. I actually want to argue this with people because I might be wrong, but I'm I'm pretty sure I'm right. (laughs) Um, So I think my personal opinion is that people who argue things like this are themselves the threat to democracy because in my opinion only unjust governments totalitarian regimes and you know corrupt de- despots and dictators fear the truth um, I mean we're talking we're talking um, we're talk- one important caveat here of course is that we're talking um, towards like this is all like news right so this is directed towards powerful interests Um, rich people, powerful people, uh, famous people, the state, the government, intelligence services, the police. Um, Yes, revealing facts, truth might inconvenience them and hamper them, hamper their efforts, but it does not harm them, right? You cannot really harm the government. Um, You cannot harm the police. You could harm individual policemen, but like, I don't know if if like tr- if like facts can harm them, then something is wrong, right? It's kind of like um, I always thought about this. Like whenever something happens, so in Germany, for example, it's illegal, um, even for the press, to um, post pictures of of the police when they're engaged in actual operations, right? Because um, you might you might hamper these operations. But I've always thought like why 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 do you endanger the police? if you show them while they're engaged in official business, um, you know, like what's the argument there that, the that the criminals will know where the police is. I mean, they know anyway. And like, why, like if that's a problem, just get more police there or just, you know, use other tactics or whatever. Like I always thought like that is like a really dumb law. Um, I mean, of course, this is always di- only directed towards like government bodies. It's not against individual people. You can harm individual people with facts, because I mean, this is the same. You can't turn this around. Basically, what I'm saying is, if you if you're if you've got nothing to hide, you've got nothing to fear, which is like the thing that is wrong. If you if you say that about a person, that is not how like. Uh, a democratic state works because everybody has their secrets and you're entitled to your secrets. That's why you have privacy, right? And that's why that's a personal right and a civil, civil right. And one of your freedoms, because everybody does, every human being does things they don't want the public to know. Um, you know, they don't, they don't, they don't want to, the public to know how often they wank every day, like what kind of stuff they wank to, you know, um, whatever. Uh, whatever it is, it you know, that that that's okay. And um it's it's completely reasonable to protect individual policemen and, and I don't know, government agents or whatever. But like we're talking about the government as a whole and, and the government as a whole, for the government as a whole and and institution as a whole, like for the police as a whole, for example. It is true that if they have nothing to hide, they have nothing to fear. Um uh, because they are Organi- it's not like they're not private people right the, you don't have as as a as a private citizen in a state you don't have the um the privilege or the expectation you know that you should know what another private citizen is doing you you're not you're not supposed to know that you you it's not They're just a private citizen like you are. Whereas the government works for you. You pay the government. You pay taxes. The government is there to serve you, not the other way around. Which is why you have not only an expectation, I think you have a right in a a civil society, in a a democracy under the rule of law, you have a right to know what the government is doing because they're working for you. And... When they lie about this or they hide stuff and it hurts them when the truth comes out, it is their fucking fault because it was your right in the first place to know what they were doing. And this is why the truth cannot hide, cannot hurt a democratic government. It cannot inflict actual harm. If it does, there's something wrong. You know, if you if you argue that if you publish information about vaccine factual information about people who got sick because they got the vaccine, and if you argue, like many of my colleagues in the press do, that you should not do that because that would cause harm, then if that is actually the case, if that does cause harm, if people then go and not get vaccinated and if they actually there's harm caused by that. I think, you know, I argued in the beginning that there there's that there's no harm being done there because they are under their own. They're, they're not kids, right? They're adults. They're expected to make their own decisions in society, even if it harms them. So it's their responsibility. But if you leave that aside, if that's the case, then something else is wrong. Maybe in education, you know, maybe you need to educate people better, whatever it is. Publishing the truth, if publishing the truth actually harms people, in a democracy, then something is really, really, really wrong. And you need to look into that. You don't, need to, you don't need to go around censoring the truth. You need to look into that. Anyway, let's get into what is actually going on here. This was enough to lead into that. So as MetaEB um, as, as discovered, uh, and, and the people looking at the Twitter files discovered, um, Twitter and other social networks were censoring a hell of a lot of malinformation, i.e. facts, on the behalf of the US government and, you know, associated NGOs and other organizations. Um, and they were initially saying that they were fighting disinformation. So they were actually censoring malinformation, i.e. facts that are inconvenient, saying they were censoring disinformation, i.e. wrong things. Um, <laughs> now, what is the, the sheer fucking hubris part here is that they stopped at some point even pretending that so so right around when the pandemic hit um these guys started freely admitting that they were actually censoring the truth um because it was hurting people i.e. because powerful people and organizations found it to be inconvenient to them or to run counter to their interests um and um this whole metaeb story centers around an organization which Ironically, in this context of the pandemic, is called the virality project. Let's quote from Matt's story here. Uh, quote, the release of Dr. Anthony Fauci's spring 2020 emails has been used uh, to exacerbate distrust in Dr. Fauci. Increased distrust in Fauci's expertise Uh, increased distrust in Fauci's expert guidance. Reports of vaccinated individuals contracting COVID-19 anyway. Natural immunity suggesting COVID-19 leaked from a lab. Even worrisome jokes. All of this was characterized as potential violations or disinformation events by the Virality Project, a sweeping cross-platform effort to monitor billions of social media posts by Stanford University, federal agencies, and a slew of often state-funded NGOs. So like Hillary Clinton's emails, when they leaked Fauci's she, emails, the argument was uh, we need to uh, um, suppress this information because it's it's it's, incre- it's increased distrust in his guidance. Well, why is that? Because he said things in his emails that make you distrust him, right? But it's like they weren't faked emails, they were these real emails. That's what we used to call transparency, <laughs> You know, there were jokes, uh, suggestions that COVID-19 leaked from a lab. You mean the thing that the FBI is now saying is probably what happened. Um, anyway. Anyway. Uh, Matt continues, just before Michael Schellenberger and I testified in the house last week, Virality Project emails were found in the Twitter files describing, quote, stories of true vaccine side effects, end quote, as actionable content. We've since learned the Virality Project in 2021 worked with government to launch a pan-industry monitoring plan for COVID-related content. At least six major internet platforms were onboarded, quote, to the same Jira ticketing system, daily sending millions of items for review. So I'm actually going to do a uh, specific episode on this JIRA from hell uh, and what it all means. But yeah, we're going to get to that in a later episode. Uh, Though the Virality Project reviewed content on a mass scale for Twitter, Google, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Medium, TikTok, and Pinterest, knowingly targeted true material and legitimate political opinion while often being factually wrong itself. This story is important for two reasons. 1 as Orwellian proof of concept the variety project was a smash, smash success government academia and an olig- oligopoly of would-be corporate competitors organized quickly behind a secret unified effort to control political messaging 2 it accelerated the evolution of digital this is important it accelerated the evolution of digital censorship moving it from judging truth untruth to a new, scarier model, openly focused on political narrative at the expense of fact. Now, one, one side note, what amazes me about this, is that one of the very institutions that was um, behind this and, and, and very much behind this, uh, Stanford University, which, <laughs> um, so this is a, um, a university that, that has a project that is engaged in censoring the truth. Which, you know, it's like the opposite of what a university is supposed to do. Like a university is supposed to promote science and learning, not actively fight it. I mean, we have, you know, like there are religious you know, like I would say religious institutions masquerading as universities. And, and, you know, of course there's a German university and the university I went to, there are subjects like, you know, religion that you can study where, you know, it's basically not a university because they're not doing that. Um... But so far this was only, um, uh, you know, it's been going for hundreds of years, but it's been con- confined to an area of religion. Now it seems that propaganda in academia is is like everywhere and it's just become political. It's like a political thing, not a religious thing anymore. Um So going on with the story, on uh, the 5th of February 2021, just after Joe Biden took office, Stanford wrote to Twitter to discuss the virality project. By the 17th, Twitter agreed to join and got its first weekly report on, quote, anti-vax disinformation, which contained numerous true stories. On February 22, 2021, Stanford welcomed Twitter Twitter veterans like Joel Roth and Brian Clark instructing them on how to join the group Jira system. March 2021, uh, March the 2nd, 2021, we are beginning to ramp up our notification process to platforms. In addition to the top seven platforms, uh, Virality Project soon gained visibility to alternate platforms such as Gap, Parler, Telegram, and Getter, near total surveillance of the social media landscape. Through July of 2020, Twitter's internal guidance on COVID-19 required the story to be demonstrably false or to contain an assertion of fact to be actioned. But the Virality Project, in partnership, with this, in partnership with the CDC, pu- pushed different standards. It told Twitter that true stories that could fuel hesitancy, including things like celebrity death after vaccine or the closure of a central New York school due to reports of post-vaccine illness, should be considered standard vaccine misinformation on your platform. Actually, mal—it's malinformation because it's all true stuff. But yeah, uh, in one email to Twitter, we, uh, the Virality Project, addressed what it called the vaccine passport narrative, saying concerns over such programs, quote, have driven a large anti-vaccination narrative about the loss of rights and freedoms. Well, yeah, because you factually lose rights and freedoms. This was framed as a misinformation event. The Virality Project routinely framed real testimonials about side effects as misinformation, from two stories of blood clots from AstraZeneca vaccines to to a New York Times story about vaccine recipients who contracted the blood disorder thrombocytopenia. By March of 2021, Twitter personnel were aping uh, the Verity Project language, describing campaigns against vaccine passports, fear of mandatory immunizations, and misuse of official reporting tools as potential violations. So, you know, just opinions and facts are now violations. Um, Now, it gets worse because... They're now actually starting uh, to censor not only based on what you actually posted, but who, who the audience was. It didn't even matter what your tweet was; it, who the audience was was important. Like who was retweeting it or whatever. The Verity Project helped pioneer the of ga- ga- gauging of, I'm sorry, the gauging of disinformation by audience response. If the post-vaccine death of a Black woman factual. Uh, case named uh, Dreen Keys in Virginia went unnoticed um, and inspired mostly anti-vaccine comments on local media, it became a disinformation event. And now it gets worse because the next thing they're targeting now is you asking questions because that's also spreading misinformation. The Virality Project warned against people just asking questions, implying it was a tactic commonly used by spreaders of misinformation. Yeah, or scientists, or children. <laughs> Those evil fucking children. They're just asking questions. They're just asking for Trump. Dr- <laughs> it also described a worldwide rally for freedom planned over Telegram as a disinformation <laughs> event. You know, because protesting in a democracy is now disinformation. It encouraged platforms to target people, not posts, Using Minority Report-style pre-crime logic, describing repeat offenders like Robert Kennedy Jr., it spoke of a large volume of content that is almost uh, always reportable. So, you know, if, um, if you tweet something and then you get retweeted by Robert Kennedy Jr., you're now in house as well. Not based on your tweet, but the fact that this person retweeted you. Um It goes without saying, but continuing, the Virality Project was repeatedly extravagantly wrong. In one email to Twitter on misinformation, it spoke of wanting to, quote, hone in on an increasingly popular narrative about natural immunity. The Virality Project in April 2021 mistakenly described breakthrough infections as extremely rare events that should not be inferred to mean vaccines are ineffective. Later, when the CDC changed its methodology for counting COVID-19 cases among vaccinated people, only counting those resulting in hospitalization or death, the Virality Project complained that anti-vaccine accounts, RFK Jr. and What's-Her-Face, retweeted the story to suggest hypocrisy. A few months later... Breakthrough cases are happening. (laughs) They say that. It's a quote, like, you know, breakthrough cases are happening. We'd have to open this tab again. Sheer fucking hubris. (laughs) (sighs) That's what I should have called this episode. Um, And and now it gets, it gets like this is is getting into like catch 22 or like all world territory here because it's now getting really ridiculous. Um, In a chilling irony, the Variety product ran searches for the term surveillance state. As an unaccountable state partnered bureaucracy secretly searched it out, the idea that vaccines are part of a surveillance state won, won its own thought crime bucket conspiracy. So they were looking for tweets that were saying, okay, so we have a secretive pseudo-governmental organization uh, working with Twitter to censor dissident opinion or facts, actual facts, and disappearing that information. And they are also searching for people saying that there is, you know, a shadowy force behind the government or behind Twitter that is like um like surveilling everybody and then censoring them. And then they flag those tweets and censor them. You know, the tweets that were complaining about the thing that they were doing. <laughs> like they're not only factual, they're just like this is just like peak like who does this? Like who sits there and actually flagging those tweets that are describing what he's doing right now as like wrong. This is like fucking Mitchell and Webb going like, are we the bad guys? I think we're the we've got like fucking skulls on our are like why are we are we the bad guys? But they didn't even ask themselves that. Um Now, obviously, to make it worse, uh, as always, you have to involve the spies. So after about a year, on April 26, 2022, the Viralty Project issued a report calling for a rumor control mechanism to address national trending narratives, a misinformation and disinformation center of excellence to be housed within CISA, the Department of of Homeland Security, because, you know, they just don't, after 9-11, they just don't fucking own enough of the U.S. state. Um, they are the literal if people talk about the deep state, it's pretty much the Department of formula security, isn't it? Um and I I just love CISA because as as or CESAR because as Taibi always points out, and he's completely right. So CISA stands for the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. So it literally has security in it, twice. Just <laughs> the worst acronym in history. And there are bad acronyms in the US government. Um Even in its final report, the Virality Project claimed it was misinformation to suggest the vaccine does not prevent transmission or that governments are planning to introduce vaccine passports, I mean, which they were doing, and literally it does not prevent the transmission. Uh, I refer you to Dr. Anthony Fauci a few episodes ago on this podcast while me reading his paper. Um, Both things turned out to be true. The virality project was specifically not based on assertions assertion of fact, but public submission to authority, acceptance of narrative and pronouncements by figures like Anthony Fauci. The project's central animating concept was you can't handle the truth. So it's basically like a Soviet propaganda. It's like a fucking Stalinist era uh, propaganda committee. Um, unbelievable just, I'm almost, I'm never at a loss for words, but I almost am right here. So the, this is what I was talking about earlier. Like this is all based on like bureaucrats and like people on Twitter who are convinced that they're more intelligent than everybody else, than you. Um, And they're always like, there's always this patronizing attitude. And as I explained, there are, these people are actively hostile to democracy. Because this is a very corrosive thought that will destroy democracy. Because I mean, these people obviously didn't pay attention in school, uh, or got help them. If they went to university because the thing you learn. Well, they might have not studied political science, but you learn this in high school. You should. If you if you didn't, something went wrong. Uh, you know. You know. You learn the thing that you know. All of democracy is based on um, the idea that there are adults um who can decide things for themselves and make this that's what democracy is all of us getting together and deciding things and it's based on assuming that people are intelligent enough to do that if you start questioning this you're basically you're questioning democracy in itself but i went into that let's not do that again One of the Verity Project's four core partners, Pentagon funded Grafica, explained in a report about Fauci, like with an, you know, Fauci, whatever, you know, him being, being a fraud, that because the public cannot be trusted to make judgments on its own, it must be shielded from truth that might undermine its faith in authority. It's like some fucking thing out of Warhammer 40,000. Jesus Christ. Um, Quote, this continual process of seeding doubt and uncertainty in authoritative voices, Grafica wrote in a report sent to Twitter, leads to society that finds it too challenging to identify what's true or false. For this reason, the CDC partnered project focused often on disinformation events involving Fauci, saying release of Fauci's emails foments distrust and deriding assertions he misled he he misled the public the reality project communications mirrored those produced in the recent court case louisiana versus biden which showed facebook admitting to the who that it too was censoring true content you know maybe just maybe the public find in today's world the public finds it too challenging to identify what's true or false because people like you keep censoring the actual truth And of course, most journalists being idiots doesn't help. <laughs> um the reality project's partners. DOD funded Grafica, the National Science Foundation funded Center for an Informed Public CIP, the GC founded, we're gonna talk about GC in a later episode. The GC founded DFR Lab, the NYU Center for Social Media and Politics, the or CS CS Map. Verity project would later say it partnered with several government agencies, quote, including the Office of the Surgeon General and the CDC. It reportedly also worked with the DHS's CISA and GAC, among others, GC. To recap, America's information mission went from counterterrorism abroad. We're going to talk about that in a later episodes as well. Uh, to stopping foreign interference from reaching domestic audiences to 80% domestic content, much of it true. The disinformation governance board is out, but truth policing is not. We're also going to talk about the disinformation governance board and the singing censor. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll, I'm going to, of course. Um, in 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 in, follow, in following episodes, continue coverage of the Twitter files and what has been termed this new censorship industrial complex coined after the military industrial complex uh, that kind of emerged after the election of Donald Trump and how that all came upon. But like this is just amazing. So just to quickly recap, um, the US government and its partners was basically throughout the pandemic, Using social media to um, fudge reality, right? To to play with our perception of reality, um, to disappear opinions and jokes and facts and legitimate scientific research that ran counter to their narrative, counter to the narrative of the government, you know the the propaganda of the government counter to the interests of very powerful and very 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 rich pharma companies um and all of this is out there it's it's not disputed none of this is disputed nobody has disputed the the, the pfizer guy hasn't come out saying this isn't true right so so why is this not being reported i know it's not being reported in the press but it's it's just a massive Massive disappointment. And this is why the Twitter files are so important. Um, because just like Snowden, we might have, you know, the Snowden revelations, we might have um, suspected that this stuff was going on. But now we have proof, which is very important. Anyway, that's it for this episode. Uh, let's Let's wrap it up. So this is the point in the episode where I tell you that you can become a producer on the show if you provide feedback, um, all the details on the show, it's private citizen or press. I will not be reading out any feedback as this episode is long enough and I'm, it's just like literally the middle of the fucking night. The neighbors are probably very annoyed right now that I, I continue to talk and they can probably hear me. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah. Um, that's it for me for this episode I will talk about your feedback in an upcoming episode and um, I just please let me know what you think Um, if you don't agree with me on any of this please 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 I'm a reasonable person you can talk to me I'm willing to give you airtime on the show and I'm willing to discuss your um, your opinions on this um, because I think it's very important so it's important to hear other people's opinions because I'm not Twitter, and I'm not the Department of Homeland Security. I'm not the FBI. I'm not these one of these fucking cunts who thinks that that they are so much more intelligent and better than other people, um, and that people can't decide for themselves. So please, um, send me some feedback. Uh, you, you don't have to provide feedback. You can also just help the show by going uh, to my Patreon links in the show notes, privates in the press, and subscribing and and kicking me a little bit of money each month uh, to make this worth my while, uh, which would be very much appreciated. Um, I'm kind of kind of need to be honest. Um, <sighs> I'm working like twelve to fourteen hour days as it is with all this shit, <laughs> and I'm 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 not. Richard get rich at all <laughs> anyway so i thank the people supporting the show um very much uh, very many thanks to my showrunner sir Galtaran, no agenda royalty sir Galtaran. um also uh, many thanks to my executive producers one i one one g Butterbeans beans yaslav lichtblau rizal and sandman 616 my supervising producers avis bennett piata dave i can jackie plage Jonathan M. Hitai, Michael Mull Jensen, Robert Forster, and Tobias Weber. Or Tobias Weber? I have no idea. Nor do I need to. Uh, thanks to my producers Andrew Davidson, Astro C, Cam, Captain David Potter, Dirk Didi, Fadi Mansour, Florian Pigosh, Joe Poser, Mika, Mr. Amish, Rick Bragg, and RJ Tracy, and my associate producers D. Jonathan, Yuan, Sonin, Kai CS, Ricky M, Stifos, and Vlad. Thanks to all of you. Couldn't do the show without you. Like literally, I wouldn't. I also wouldn't because reasons. (laughs) I would also like to thank ByteMark at bytemark.co.uk, which is the UK cloud hosting company. And they are providing the servers that keep, you know, host the audio files, provide the bandwidth, um, and yeah, I couldn't couldn't do the show without them. Sorry, I just re- remembered something um, I need to do uh, for the next episode, so I just made a note. Anyway, uh, thanks to Bindmark. Uh, with that, I'm out. Um, uh, as usual, the show's theme song, if you're interested, is called "Acoustic Roots" by Rukab Zali, and I'm gonna play us out. I did this last time uh, by song um, with a song by Big Girl. I really like this, is another song by Big Girl, She you just released this, it's called Dream Girl. Dream Girl by Big Girl. So, um, yeah. And um, hopefully, um, you'll hear from me soon. Until then, keep asking questions. You know, like those obnoxious kids, um, which is another way of saying aim to misbehave.